I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. Did I, and you that dropping could, your voice? That could be, that could be our <laughs> first so intro. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. <laughs> We're ready for liftoff. I'm not in charge here. <laughs> I think I think we are. I think you actually are more in charge here than you would you would have, like even think about. That's my magic. Well, I think like if we're doing things like the first thing I think we have to talk about is like I think this is actually being recorded right now. Yeah. Yes, I believe so. So we're already, already like scared. we're already in a scary place. I'm not scared. <gasps> okay, you can be scared. I know. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm scared most of the time, but not in this particular room. Okay, so. So, like, I think be, be, be comfortable wiggling, take the drinks that you want. You don't have to be perfect. Feel free to jump into anything you want. Mm-hmm. And I think to get us started, I'm going to do, a, like, a really long 45-minute monologue. Perfect. Everyone's stomach dropped right there, right? <laughs> don't worry. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so I'm going to, like, slowly shift this way to be able to talk into both mics. We're here to talk about generational differences when it comes to neurodiversity. And I think neurodiversity is something that has changed in how we experience it from generation to generation. And I think what gets lost in the idea of neurodiversity is diversity. Like, why is diversity actually so important to preserve, to look at? And so for me, whenever I think about examples of diversity, I don't know why, but I think about like Ireland in like the long time ago ages, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not even trying to date it, but does anyone, if I say the word lumper, does anyone know what that is? Awesome, I got a hand in the back. Lumpers were these magical potatoes that came out, like back in the day. Like these potatoes grew bigger than any other potato and actually had more nutrients than other potatoes. And so like everyone in Ireland was like, oh, these are lumpers, I'm going to grow all of my lumpers. And for generations, there was this explosion in population. Like, everyone felt really good, got these awesome potatoes, right? And then this Spanish galleon came to Ireland with some mold on the mast that blew into Ireland. And the mold didn't really care about most potatoes. In fact, it only cared about lumpers. And because they had cultivated so much dependency and got rid of all of their diversity around potatoes, we saw the Irish potato famine. And I think we lose sight of how important it is to not be like monosourced in anything. And so through the generations, I think we've all had different pressures maybe pushing on us to lose parts of our neurodiversity or keep different parts. And today, maybe we can start talking about that. Yeah. That also makes me think of bananas, another monoculture. But we won't go on that tangent. <laughs> so 
don't. Or maybe we will. You never know. Yeah. So you see how we're kind of going back and forth and we're not like we're kind of professional, but really totally not. That's the vibe we're going for here. We're going for a conversation. This is a safe enough space. Look at this. Look, everyone here. Right. We're just this is a safe enough space. Yeah. And we're not going to judge. We want to create dialogue. You can go back and forth. You can chime in anytime you want to. And I think to get it started, I'm going to depend on a real cheesy icebreaker. So brace yourselves, okay? I am going to ask you to share your name, your pronouns, what generation you would see yourself belonging to, and uh, ice cream or french fries. Go. I look at you. You. You go first. You are looking at me. <laughs> and I am thinking about all of those questions. And I'm going to go slowly because otherwise I won't get through them. Please. So I'm sure about my name. For sure, yeah. it's Dave. It's going to be confusing because we got another one. True. But we'll, other Dave. This is depending other on who's talking. I believe person, we could go with 76 for now. I'll be 76. And, and I'll be 14. And we'll equal 90. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Pronouns I know. So far, so good. He, him, his. Mm-hmm. The ice cream french fry debate is raging right now. And I don't think I can really answer it honestly. And I'm scared to not be honest on your show. But I'm going to go with ice cream. All answers are welcome here. The Thank generation so now. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I'm a zennial. What it? Because wait, so explain uh, what is a zennial? I just learned this. Uh-huh. Oh, so we're looking at that magical range between 1979 to 1981, where you're not fully in one generation or the other. You're touching millennial and you're touching Gen X. So you have a little bit of detail in each one of those generations. Gotcha. Okay. Thank okay. You. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm Claudia, uh, I'm Gen X, and what was the other questions? Uh, ice cream or french fries? Gosh, I'm gonna have to go with french fries. I love something salty in the world. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> and what generation would you consider yourself a part of? Definitely Gen X, like younger Gen X. I'm from 1975, so that's pretty, that's pretty Gen X-y. Solid Gen X, <laughs> Gen Xer, yeah. Is it solid? Okay, yeah, good. I'll call it solid. Good. And then my pronouns are um, her, she, hers, right? She, hers. You did great. Did I do okay? You just nailed it. Nailed it. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Marcus. uh, Pronouns he, him. Um, I would say I am an elder millennial. I was born in 84, so early millennial. Like, I remember a world pre-internet, and then I remember having the internet. And I remember, like, having a computer in the house, and I remember the dial-up sound. You know, those types of things. I remember having to organize that I could download a song at dinner because we would turn the phone line off at dinner and we could download one song over dinner. That is like the real knowledge, yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, so yeah. that, was, that was amazing. i get my one Stone Temple Pilots song or whatever it was and I would download it over dinner. Um, and I, this is the easiest question in the world for me, French fries. Every day, all day. Nice. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sorry. Two French fries, one ice cream. Not, not to, you know, start to create a tally or anything. But. I'm still winning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My name's Kayla. I'm Gen Z, and I do not know about a phone dial. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Kayla. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I can't choose between French fries and ice cream because I just like them together. Especially like the little Wendy's McFlurries, like That's the frosting. Right. Right. That is, right. 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 That is right. a super correct yes. answer. You didn't know it was. But so it was. Like, I love this. Was like you're going off book, and you're like both, and let me explain why. And I have nothing but respect for that. Uh, I'm David. I believe I'm a Zennial as well. Uh, he, him, uh, and I gotta say it, French fries. 
French fries in the morning, French fries in the evening, French fries at supper time. I am savory over sweet. Cheese fries makes it better all day long. All right. So you took the fry and then you upped it with a dairy or potentially non-dairy quotient, just something cheddar, che- cheesy variety. I mean, like the, the better, the saltier. Yeah, it's yeah, great. I get it's it. Great. I get it. All right. I'll take it. And I'm Isabel. She, hers. And I am an elder millennial as well. Marcus, I see you. That dial-up sound when you described it, like I had like a visceral inside reaction, like, oh my gosh. And the choosing of your AIM name. I don't know if that dates me too, but like, oh, I'm just naming. I was the original Dizabel. That's right. No numbers. Dizabel. Me. <laughs> you realize the, the, the social credit they gave me for a hot minute. There are when 36 I was people in... in the world that go, oh my God, that's you. <laughs> it was you. Um, and I'm going to totally jump in with Kayla. Both is the correct answer. Why choose if you don't have to? The salty and the sweet double up and the frosty. And I would actually take it like a little step further and say, I want a five guys fry with the Cajun seasoning dipped in a strawberry shake type of ice cream. Oh, you just got That's, real specific. That is the, the the Venn diagram I'm going for. Is there a cardiologist in the room? Because <laughs> you know, all no. of us are in trouble, <laughs> but so happily. Happily in trouble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, with that, you know, now that we're kind of getting the vibe here, I'm wondering, let's just rip off the Band-Aid. How, how were you first maybe diagnosed or first became aware of you or a loved one's neurodivergence? Please wait, not everyone at once. Yeah, yeah. This is that moment where I cl- I'm seeing the clamoring. Okay. Yeah. So when, okay, so dyslexia and like LDs kind of run in my family. So when I was born, I was a preemie baby. So I was already like, you know, I already qualified for early, intervent- early intervention. So my grandma, mom, and they made sure I got early intervention. Then when I started going through the school system, because I went to public school for most of my life, I realized I started to learn differently than the rest of my peers. And then it took me like more time to like process information or I wasn't like spelling things properly. So of course, kids start to realize and they start to like pick at you because of it. So. My family went back and forth with the school district to like, you know, try to get me tested and it was a battle. But in the seventh grade, I finally got properly diagnosed with dyslexia and dyscalculia through um, an outside program. And that's how I knew I was dyslexic, but my family always knew I was dyslexic. So wait, so how did your family, like, cause it runs, how did they react to your diagnosis? They were totally fine about it because it wasn't like, completely shocking to us since my uncle has dyslexia my grandfather was dyslexic so like when my grandma saw the signs of me like struggling a bit in school she automatically knew because like my grandfather and my grandma they're high school sweethearts so when he was in school he would struggle and she would like help him with his homework and stuff and like always tutor him so she kind of just knew and she was like oh that's Ray's jeans right there I got to say like what, 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 what you can't hear on a podcast is how we all kind of grabbed our hearts and made these yeah. like oh okay that's amazing <laughs> that's how I knew I'll, I'll go um yeah so I was identified in third grade um, so I was kind of, I would say, somewhat classic in terms of the statistics about when people are identified. Um, and, um, but when that, I was identified with dyslexia and ADHD, dyslexia came first. And that was when, I really, I said this to the students the other day when I was talking, but like everybody reading was like a magic trick. It looked like, it felt like a magic trick that everybody else was performing around me that I just didn't know how to do. And um, my family reacted to it in kind of a, in kind of a complicated way. They definitely did, weren't, they were, 
they weren't sure about how I would feel about having a label. My mom is now been identified with dyslexia since after I got my identification, but uh, at the time she was fearful of that label because yeah. what she carried with her when she was growing up was the label of stupid, the label of dumb. Mm -hmm. And because there wasn't the, the luxury that I got, which was the actual identification of dyslexia and ADHD. So, so it was very complicated as to how to broach the subject. And I remember the moment that I first heard the word dyslexia. I was in fourth grade, so I'd already been identified for about a year and a half. And this other girl in school, Karen, told me I was dyslexic. And she, Karen was like, Marcus, you're dyslexic. I know, Karen. Poor Karen. Poor all Karens, Poor really. Um, but I, she said, Marcus, you know, you're dyslexic just like me. That's why we read in this group together. Oh, good for Karen. Yeah, Karen was woke. Like, oh. uh, yeah. And uh, this was the one woke Karen. And so she said to me, and I went home that day. I remember in fourth grade, I said, Mom, Karen says I'm dyslexic. Is that true? And that was the first time we had started having that conversation. And I, I just remember that word was like, this doesn't sound good. And we're in a reading group, and we're not reading well. There are so many truths in what you just said. Like, how scary these words sound when you're young. Like, like is my arm going to fall off? What else is wrong with me? Wow, okay. So we're starting to see some differences in terms of, like, maybe not as much awareness within parents. Like, different kind of feeling, different kind of world reacting to the diagnosis. Yeah, the way that boomers approached their children being diagnosed, I think, was was typical in many ways in my experience, yeah. I'm a Gen X parent with a Gen Z child with uh, autism, dyslexia, and dysgraphia. He was, I first started noticing that something was different when he was six months old. He had moderate to severe symptoms, um, and they were very frightening. So my only thing that I wanted to do was figure out, one, what was happening, Two, what could I do to help him get better? So I started going to Google and figuring it out. I came up with a conclusion that he showed all the signs of autism, and he got a diagnosis at 18 months. Started early interventions before two. So we did hit that sweet spot for neuroplasticity in the brain of the zero to five. We did a two-year intensive ABA program that I trained for, and I dropped out of the workforce and dedicated basically my entire life to him. So how, what, what generation is he, just so I can? He's Gen Z, oh. 2007, with a diagnosis in 2008. So I just want to make sure I'm kind yeah, of. Yeah, like the difference right there, right between the parent, yeah. Right, like what is it, like how early, right? Like how much earlier, so like in the first couple years? In the first. Yeah, we, we had a very, very early diagnosis. Most diagnoses do not happen like that. Mm -hmm. We got everything. ECI, you know, he went to a special private school, and now he's in a magnet program with a four point, almost a 4.3 GPA, you know, taking all college courses. Snaps, okay. Snaps, snaps. Uh, well, you know what, the thing I'm just gonna gently name too is like, you mentioned Google. Right. Like right. that was not like my parents on Google still is a funny example of what could go wrong and sometimes right. But like, do you know what I mean? Like the access to information, the fact that like imagine you 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 you, ha you don't have any peers, you don't have any people around you who could like convey to you. Oh, hey, like, for example, like, Kaylee, you mentioned in your family, right? To be able to turn a family member and go, ta da, like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah, here you go. Versus like, I don't know even where to start. 
versus, oh, I just Google. Not to say you just Googled, right? But you Google and you can like take a course online maybe, right? Like the access to stuff is so market. And there is something that I'd like to bring up because I think for my cohort, for parents, there were the parents that Googled harmful things. Yeah. And there was parents like ah, myself yeah. that went in there and did longitudinal studies on babies that show autism <laughs> symptoms, you know, um, peer review. <laughs> like I was very specific and I only, only followed, you know, science-based, peer-reviewed, you know, solutions. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, as I'm in between uh, Marcus's generation and yours, um, a little closer to, to Marcus, but um, how different even those early years of time were. And for folks who are like listening and not with us live, you know, you may not know, so I'll just share other parts of my identity. I am a white man in America and other parts of the details. My mom's an educator. Uh, first gen in college, but taught in the school that I was in. And we had some means. And we had just come alive with the opportunity to be identified at a young age. What you did for your kid is a step forward, right, from our generation. So I would actually argue I was identified as stupid <laughs> long before I was identified as dyslexic. And that identity still lives with me. Uh, to your point, David, like, Dyslexia was better than stupid. I was questioning, where can I get an ointment? Mm -hmm. Is this going to cause a rash? Right. <clears throat> so I felt grateful. I couldn't identify what I can say now of what a luxury it was to get identified. And I realize now at the age of 43 how different my experience was compared to others then and now. I, I think this is that, that moment where I want to like hug you. Like with my with my I'm Mike, but we're both Mike, and there's I'll take a rain check. Can I just like beam a there, there's a little beam, yeah. But but we're talking about like parts of our identity that develop with a diagnosis in the absence of information. Like what happens when we don't know? And and I'll quickly throw myself into this. Right, you guys aren't alone. I think I got first diagnosed as having some kind of learning difference in like fourth grade, and the only reason it was a test or they they figured out was because I couldn't pass a single spelling test. So they caught, they caught my dyslexia. They caught my symbol recognition disorder, like right away, right? No one caught my ADHD until I was in college. And there's a big part of me to this day, you know, you're saying stupid. It's like, I'm in trouble. I'm almost always in the absence of information believing I, I just did something. Like right now, I did something wrong, right? Like this isn't... Like, I shouldn't have taken that sip of water, and, and I definitely unscrewed this water bottle too loud, right? But I think that there are these parts of us that happen very early on, like, based on how our family and how our friends respond to the diagnosis, right? Or, or how it responds to your child's diagnosis. And, like, not so much what, you, what we did about it, but what did you all see the world or your family, like, react to the diagnoses that you got or your emerging neurodivergence? Well, and I think that's why I wanted to name some of my other parts of my identity, right? I hit the family jackpot. I had so much in my corner. And if it was that hard for me, what's the possibility of, I didn't understand it then. I think you're just so in it when you're young, trying to figure out your own way. You know, if somebody is entering this identity with, a different set of identities or circumstances, what's their reality? And that's been my actual adult journey, wanting to know, wanting to see how I could be a part of this bigger neurodiversity community. 
I mean, one of the things that we know is so important in the world of neurodivergence, right, is the support system and the friends that you have. And one of the things that I often think about is like you can chart somebody's life based on who they hang out with. We don't validate that often. And so like what happened to the groups of people that you surrounded yourself with? What happened to friends and families when you all got diagnosed? When it became more official? I mean, I, I remember the first, uh, that was my family, was not talked about very much, but I remember the first time I ever felt like I was around a community of, I would say we were kind of the, the odd kids, the bad kids. Um, and that was, it was formed by, by accident in a way. So I don't know if anybody's ever taken Ritalin or Adderall or those types of medications. I know it's a lot of people in our community have, but I used to have to go to lunch five minutes before everybody else had to go to the nurse's office before lunch to get my meds. And so there was a group of us that every single day at the exact same time had to leave class a little early and show up in the nurse's office. And we'd all get our medication and then we'd all arrive at lunch like five minutes later than everybody else. And so we'd get our lunch and we'd go into the lunch table and we ended up all sitting next to each other. And this like, that was like, to me, that was like the first like, we're like the weird kids, like was the way we would have talked about ourselves mm -hmm. at the time. But it was like the school had accidentally kind of created this little, what would now maybe be like the eye-to-eye mentoring art room or something like that by, through our experience of getting our medication together. And that was the first time I was ever like, these are my peers, this is my community. And we were also often the ones that were in detention together and in other places and other spaces that were, were not empowering. So I mean, that was the first time I ever felt like, a community and not branded in a like ND proud to be kind of way, right. but a community that was rooted in our neurodiverse experience. Does, do other people sh like share or have different experiences around that? I have a different experience. So when I was like diagnosed and like of course like my friends and started, my friends started to realize that I was like different in the classroom. I realized I had to let a lot of like friendships go in middle school specifically because once some students found out, they weren't like really supportive or like I was labeled the stupid kid. And I remember there was this one kid who was in my homeroom, like we had homeroom, like it was the first class you went to in the day. And he was in my homeroom class and then I had to be pulled out for like speech therapy. And I remember he said, oh, Kayla, there you go. Like, you're going to the SPED class. And that made me so sad. And I just didn't know what to say at the time. So I realized I had to cut a lot of friends out of my life because, like, my family supported me. But the people that I was surrounding myself with, like, at lunch didn't support me. So I just had to let a lot of people go. So you made decisions about who you wanted in your life based on how your family responded and then other people. Yeah, of course, because the things that they would say were just like degrading. Like, oh, you'll never go to college. Like, you'll never be able to complete that. And like, you know, like I was really young, like I'm still young, but I was really young. <laughs> and I believed those things. And like when my diagnosis did come in, I remember my mom was like reading a little bit of the paper and like she gets to the part where it like says what I have. And they're like, oh yeah, like you're dyslexic and you have dyscalculia. I started bawling, I was crying, I was hyperventilating. I was like, my life is over. Like I'm not gonna do anything. Like those kids were right. And then my mom was like, no, like there's so many great people out there that like have dyslexia or dyscalculia. And I was like, you sure? And she's like, yeah. And then she just starts naming people off. And she's like, remember those books you like? Cause I loved Here's Hank. Those were actually the books that like taught me how to read. And she was like, the author of those books are actually dyslexic. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing.
My experience was uh, similar in, to hers. Uh, we were actually excluded a lot. Um, I remember this is a really <laughs> kind of funny story, but um, we never ever got invited anywhere. Um, to this day, we very rarely are invited anywhere um, as a family. Um, most of our family does not really communicate with us or invite us anywhere. My only family are my friends. And when my son was in um, kindergarten, he was in a collaborative kindergarten. So half of the students are neurotypical and half of the students are neurodivergent or have LDs or physical disabilities. And uh, one of the little kids had a birthday party and we answered the RSVP. Um, it turned out that that person was our neighbor like two doors down. Um, and then later on we became friends and she added me on Facebook. And then I saw that um, before we became friends and she added us and she figured out that, yeah, we were like super charming and fun to be around. Uh, she made this post on Facebook about how like, the only kid we were hoping would not answer the RSVP is the only RSVP we've gotten back. What is wrong with El Paso, Texas? Like they're, they were a military family. They weren't, you know, um, they weren't used to like our, our city, our culture, right? We're like 85% Hispanic um, and you know, they're Caucasian. So it's like totally different vibe, totally different um, background, everything. So, you know, yeah, we got excluded a lot. I just got to say it out loud because it's not funny to be marginalized and it's not funny to be pushed aside. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm watching you be very brave right now talking about that because I think it's an experience that a lot of people have to sit with. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. You're not, you're not alone. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and you know, uh, folks who are listening don't know the room that you're talking to right now. And here, you're not alone. Here, we're family. So can you say more about like what? Because like everyone's just you know listening out of their headphones. Has no clue. <laughs> has what, no idea they don't know that we we're in a giant room <laughs> with lots of other people. You're a very good dis describer person, and you've been here before. Why don't uh, Why don't you help us out? Okay. Okay. So you want me to do that thing? <laughs> yeah, do that thing. All right, you got it. Seventy six. So. <laughs> What's with the numbers? Arbitrarily, we decided because we're both Dave or David that he's arbitrarily going to be 76, I'm arbitrarily going to be 14, and together we're 90, and none of that means anything other than differentiations. This happened while you were gone. How long was I gone? <laughs> I mean, it, it, okay, so, so this is actually really helpful. We're sitting in a room full of people who are neurodivergent, and this is about what Eye to Eye does in their organizing institute. And what people can't see is there's like a crowd right now looking at us who all have their own stories who've all experienced marginalization, who've all experienced being pushed aside, who've all experienced on some level way, the ways the world did or didn't fit for them and how they had to find community. And so it feels like it is much safer. And what IDI does is create these safe spaces for people, kids and grownups and parents to talk about the parts that we all try to hide. And I think like the theme, and I'm gonna push you, David, to talk about how your family responded, but like the theme that we're hearing very clearly like across everyone is what it feels like to be marginalized because of your neurodivergence. The friends that you had to lose, feeling like you're stupid because you have to take medicine and all of a sudden you start hanging out with the kids that take medicine, that's marginalization. And I think we all share parts of that story, it's part of our culture in neurodiversity.
Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right. Just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.